Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Uh, Sid, you know, it's it seems really unfair in this day and age. Lots is unfair uh, about this situation we find ourselves in, the unpleasantness, yes. as I have uh, uh, called it repeatedly. Uh, it isn't catching on, but that's okay. I, I've, I'm patient. I've got nothing to do but wait. It's a bit of an understatement, but yeah, yeah on, it is. It mm-hmm. is. That's that's fair. I wish I, of the very unpleasantness, super unpleasant. I'll work on it. Um, I, I don't know. A lot of people are calling it the dystopian, the sickness. The sickness is like very. It's, it's quite dystopian. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, though. Charlie just says the virus, which yes. is like accurate, um, but but lacks some amount of pageantry. Um, <laughs> No, it's, it seems unfair because I feel like I have to educate myself about something new every few days. I used yes. to be able to go months without learning anything, and it was perfect. I'm 39 years old. I, I get it. You know what I mean? Like, as far as the whole thing, life mm-hmm. and stuff, I get right. it. Now uh, I have to find myself educating myself constantly. Yes. Welcome to what it's like to be a doctor. Yeah, I don't get <laughs> I don't get paid enough to learn new things constantly. But I'm, I'm now I'm constantly like, now what is that? Is that an effective? Is that good for the? Is, what does this chart mean? I'm like looking at charts. Yeah, on the toilet. I see this. This is not new to me. I there's a lot of rhetoric in medical school. They try to sell us on this idea of being a lifelong learner, mm. which sounds very exciting until you realize like, oh man, they really do mean lifelong, and it, everything keeps changing, and everything's new, and then what we thought we knew, we didn't. We didn't know. We do now, but then it's wrong. Here's the new thing that I'm. That's science, man. That I feel like I need to learn more about. We've mentioned it briefly, but I think okay. Tell me if I'm saying it right. Is the chloroquine? Chloroquine. See, I didn't even get hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine. Also, the brand name is Plaquenil. So you may have seen Plaquenil as the Plaquenil. I've heard from some uh, angles that there it's a miracle drug for mm-hmm. for covid that we everybody mm-hmm. should just be taking uh, i've heard of people taking it and um well dying from it from taking it sure uh and uh, you know a little bit every everything in between so I, I thought maybe and i asked you to do this uh a few days ago that it would be helpful to like have an episode there's so much misinformation out there mm-hmm. have an episode to kind of like build that base level of education about this so we're all a little bit more discerning when we, you know, get into these discussions about this and watch the news and et cetera, et cetera. I think, I think it's a good thing to talk about. One, because it's an interesting drug. It's an interesting medication. That oh, they're is... all interesting to me, Sid. Don't get me started on these fascinating pills. 
it's an it's got an interesting history that we can get into first and then i think it leads us into a discussion that is is relevant to the time but it's also it's kind of at the heart of our show which is we are living in a in a time right now where the lessons of sawbones the lessons of medical history are so relevant mm. and so important to keep in mind because the the soil is rich for snake oil these mm. days there's and probably I'm a not way to get saying, a rhyming couplet out of that if you yeah, to I, work on it a little bit i'll work i'll keep i'll keep workshopping it but that, i'm not saying that hydroxychloroquine is necessarily snake oil but i am saying that we live in a moment where you're going to start to understand and empathize with all those people of the past who did things that seem totally outrageous by our modern standards, you're going to start to understand where they may have been coming from. And I think that's an important lesson to keep in mind as we move forward. Uh, empathy. <laughs> it's the war. You tricked me. You said I could have a refreshing Coke Zero if we did the podcast. You never mentioned anything about empathy. You got to have empathy, too. You Sorry. Me. Sorry. So, first of all, what what is this medicine? Why is everybody so excited? What do we use it? Obviously, it had a, a whole life before COVID. <laughs> what was it? I know from listening to you, I know it was originally an anti-malarial drug. That's right. We're going to we're going to kind of take it hydroxychloroquine is like the story of chloroquine, which is really the story of quinine, which is really the story of malaria, which we've done a whole podcast on, so I'm not going to belabor malaria, the I mean the I think it's a fascinating topic and you could do episodes upon episodes about it, but we've covered that before. So I'm just going to focus on the the parts of it that are relevant to this specific medication. Uh, as you may remember, or if you haven't listened to the episode before, I'm going to tell you, malaria used to be a scourge throughout the world. Mm -hmm. We now kind of associate it with largely tropical parts mm -hmm. of the planet uh, where it is still a huge problem, of course. Um, but it used to be a problem everywhere. It was a problem in the United States. It was a problem throughout Europe. It seems like a very common, uh, it almost got like, I don't know if a trope can exist in the real world, but uh, adventures and expeditions being undone by malaria mm -hmm. is so common that it almost is to be like, oh, great. Yeah, I know. Malaria. I get it. It happens every single time. It, it Malaria has been, and all throughout history. I mean, the ancient Greeks talked about malaria. Shakespeare wrote about malaria. They weren't calling it malaria. They, you'd, you'd see it. Um, referred by different different terms for fever, really, because that's the hallmark of malaria are these like fevers that appear at pretty standard intervals and they're intense fevers and then they go away and you could see these fevers come and go and it was very scary because at the time we had no idea what, where it came from, why it happened, what to do about it. We didn't know that it was being carried by mosquitoes. We didn't know that it was a parasite. We didn't know any of that. So until the 1600s, our treatments for malaria were like our treatments for everything else, specifically everything else that caused a fever. Just guesses. We just guessed. And we did a lot of things that were ineffective. We did a lot of things that were messy. And we did a lot of things that were deadly. But malaria could be deadly as well. So mm -hmm. if you had the tertian fever, then you do what you got to do, you know. Uh, so we did a lot of bloodletting. We gave a lot of laxatives. Sure, so get it out. Very popular. Whatever it's in there, get Something it out. Something to make you puke. Uh, we did, and then of course, we did a lot of like spells and chants and prayers and those sorts of things, mystical thinking to try to fight malaria, as well as 
like gross things like poultices and tinctures of smelly things. Uh, but it was really the Spanish conquerors returning from the Andes that took a treatment that had been discovered there by mm-hmm. people who were native to that region who found the bark of a certain tree was very effective in treating fevers and what they would call the shivers, which were probably like chills, mm-hmm. rigors. So it was very effective in treating malaria, even if you didn't know you were treating malaria. So, and that was the bark from the cinchona tree. And uh, they were using this bark and there's, there's, we get into it in the episode. There's some theories as to how exactly they figured out this particular bark. Mm-hmm. Like supposedly somebody fell in, who was sick, fell in the water and drank the water and it was bitter because the trees were growing in that water, but then they got better and the bitter bark from the trees and I don't The bitter bark made him better. <laughs> the bitter bark made him a bit better. <laughs> made him very better. I bet the bitter bark made him a bit better. I don't have, I can't. I don't think I have any more. I don't have any more. Anyway, so they'd figured out that this cinchona tree was important. Uh, these Spanish conquerors f- found this knowledge and took it back to Europe and told everybody about it. And everybody mm-hmm. got very excited about the bark from this tree. It would be... The bitter bark. <laughs> the bitter bark that made it better. It would be many years before they figured out that it was quinine in the bark that had this effect. That that was the the active compound uh, that did this and it was many many more years before they could actually isolate isolate quinine itself that wasn't even until like the 1950s but mm-hmm. we're getting a little ahead of ourselves and uh, even when we did we knew that it wasn't a, a perfect medicine we knew that the bark itself if you took it in the wrong doses if you took like the the extract of the bark as it was you know administered previously mm-hmm. or quinine itself when we eventually had it there were a whole host of side effects and it had a very narrow therapeutic window meaning just just a little too much and you can get really sick but not enough and it doesn't work and Mm. so you know some drugs are very forgiving right quinine it's not so if you took too much of it you'd get dizzy you'd get ringing in your ears you could have vision changes your heart could beat really fast and irregularly would it still work yeah it would work but I mean, unpleasant. You might have a seizure, or you could go blind. Mm. You could die. So that's one of the one of the worst <laughs> ones you've said so far. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it it's interesting because we eventually, like I said, pieced together that it was this quinine in the bark mm-hmm. that was responsible for all of these all the therapeutic effects. Uh, people started trying to synthesize quinine. Like, well, can I just make that molecule? Right. I figured out the active part. Instead of having to, like, go harvest it from trees, can I just make that in a lab? Um, The first person who tried to synthesize it was William Henry Perkin. And he failed in making quinine, but he succeeded in making a beautiful purple dye known as Perkin's Mauve. Well, that's great. He started, like, a whole business with this dye i'm like done he, with he, trying to help people <laughs> he made a living off of this beautiful look at this beautiful dye man purple yeah i'm done wasting my time dye. with medicine <laughs> beautiful beautiful dye it's it's interesting because this this theme kind of continues for a while with malaria treatment so paul ehrlich also had an idea as to a uh synthetic treatment for malaria um but his was methylene blue which didn't have the same side effects as quinine um, 
was not as consistent as in treating malaria as quinine was, but also would turn you blue if you took enough for it to be effective. That's huge. I mean, that's huge. Who doesn't <laughs> want to walk on the wild side a little bit? A little variety. So that's, I mean, most people considered that somewhat of a, of a drawback. Yes. Uh, so then... Scientists at Bayer, uh, specifically Wilhelm Roll, decided that uh, we needed a different medicine because the that one guy just made purple dye. That didn't help anybody. Yeah, <laughs> Quinine's made, still making, you know, people have seizures. That guy made human dye. That guy, blue human dye. <laughs> that guy turned people blue. There's got to be something better. So he made quinacrine, which was also called mepicrine or adabrine, uh, and it worked well enough that it was actually like one of the predominant medicines that was used during World War II mm. by this point. This was like the the preferred malaria medication during World War II. However, it still did have a lot of side effects, some of them similar to quinine. It could cause seizures. It could cause ringing in the ears. Some new ones, it could cause psychosis. Mm. It's just still a problem today with some um, malaria medications. Sure, yeah. Uh, but it also, unfortunately... Could turn you a color, this one yellow, though. So I guess you what? have a choice. <laughs> what is going on? We ha- It took us a long time to figure out how to treat people for malaria without, you yeah, know, but like, the, the, like Easter egg dyeing them at the same time. Yeah, but like most medicines don't have all these like Hogwarts level side effects. Like it's like Willy Wonka's candy factory in here. You're just popping malarial pills and turning every color of the rainbow. It's like a Skittles ad in this episode. It took us a while to figure out malaria is tough. It was tough to. I don't care. Why were the pills turning people so many different colors? It's a wild side effect to be so consistent. Uh, I mean, eventually we figured out how to make a malaria medication that didn't turn people colors. That's great. That's very good. I'm looking forward. I mean, yeah, I assumed from from some of the and I'm going to I want to. At the end, I have the name of a couple articles I read because some were very interesting about this. But it seems Others, like not so. <laughs> no, we're like no. But I, 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 there were a couple articles in particular that I got a lot of this information from, and one in particular uh, pointed out that there was a lot of overlap between like early pharmaceutical companies and industrial dye mm. companies, which is just fascinating i mean i guess like if you're a chemist you can probably make a lot of different things sure you know i mean you you will apply your skills to whatever you are you know hired to do but you probably can do anyway that's fascinating to me Mm -hmm. that people make these things good all you chemists out there you cool chemists Mm -hmm. i'm done okay sorry anyway so (laughs) even prior i didn't want to interrupt (laughs) you when you're on a roll about how cool chemists are anyway even prior to World War II. Because you know there's some, every episode when we compliment any group of people, we always get tweets that are like, thank you, finally. <laughs> I had a cat who worked in a lab, I think two weeks ago, we were talking about how helpful uh, lab technicians are. And they're like, finally. They mentioned us for two seconds, but at least we got in there. Like, I'm sorry. Y'all are great. <laughs> Everyone's great. <laughs> Chemists, to give everybody their love deal. it. Yes. Pharmacists who wrote some of these articles. People who work in the industrial dye industry, like, what's up? Crushing it, I bet. Unless you're doing bad things to the environment. I don't know. I don't pay a close enough attention. I don't love that. Definitely happened. Want to get cover all my bases. I assume. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so chloroquine had actually been in the works at Bayer even prior to World War II. Mm -hmm. Um, So even as they were giving people this quinacrine that turned them yellow... They had chloroquine. Now, they initially thought, and this was like a big mistake 
that they would realize later, they thought it was too toxic to give to humans. And so they had just kind of shelved it Mm. and hadn't even considered it. Um, But in light of all these other medications that, you know, did a lot of things that people would prefer they didn't, Mm -hmm. they went back and took a second look at it after World War II and went, well, you know what? Actually, this was actually a pretty decent medicine. Uh, There were some side effects, but it didn't change you blue or yellow or any other color yeah so that nice. that was nice um and a lot of the other side effects i had were similar to the these same meds and somewhat less so so what why did we not give it a chance so over the next couple decades it became very popular as an alternative to these other medications that you know mm-hmm. turned you blue and whatnot and uh and eventually they added if you know chemistry all they had to do is tack on a hydroxyl group to one of the rings to make a hydroxychloroquine sure, chloroquine yeah. hydroxychloroquine yeah for sure anyway that doesn't really matter the point is what that did was make it even better tolerated okay that was that was basically the idea there so now we have this great malaria medication hydroxychloroquine that i did i take that or chloroquine i've taken this before mm. uh because you can, I mean, we still use this medication today. It's an option, not all over the world, because it depends on if there's resistance in the malaria of, of that region. Mm, okay. Because malaria has gotten smarter through the years and is resistant to some of these early medications, specifically chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine in some parts of the world. But I believe when I, I believe when I went down to Central America, I was able to take it. But anyway, so we still use it today. Uh, still a, a worthwhile medication. It's interesting in that if you want to know the mechanism of action. And I do. Of course. Uh, we don't know exactly how it works. Fun. We have some ideas as to what it does uh, inside the malaria parasite. But we're not entirely certain. We have we have some theories and like there's some things we, we're pretty sure that it, it definitely is doing. But as to every all the little teeny tiny molecular reasons as to why it does what it does, it's not completely understood. Mm. Um, But we have this medication. It works for malaria. And back then, when we get a new medicine and it does something... We use it for everything. We try it for everything else. I want to hear all about that. Well, I'm going to tell you about that, Justin. Mm -hmm. First, let's go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. 
we have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I mean, filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sid, we got this great new drug. I want to pitch you on it. It does something mm-hmm. and doesn't change you a color. And I want to put it in production for everything. I just want to take it, take put it through its paces. Let's let's get trying it. So let's do it. So we've got chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine. Now this is great. We're using it for malaria so that we don't have to either go harvest tree bark every time we want to treat malaria mm-hmm. or t- turn someone yellow or blue. And that's great. So why don't we try it for other things and see what else what else it's got up its sleeve, so to speak. And this was common practice if you look back to like the late 1800s and early 1900s when you find a new effective medication. Similar to we've always done, right? With medical practices like bloodletting. We used it for everything. Yeah. Mercury. We used it for everything because it's what we had. And anything that did anything was better than nothing, or at least so we thought. That's not always true. So we still do that? Is that how we found out stuff like, well, butrin helps you quit smoking, that kind of stuff? Uh, no, not not exactly like that. We we have reasons why we would try something for a new application. Like we would see properties in the medication that might make it useful for a different condition. We understand or, the neurochemistry a lot better too these days. Precisely. The mechanism of action and all that is so much well under more well understood, especially a drug that's developed as opposed to kind of going back the other direction and taking a drug. We don't know why this worked. We just made this thing and it seemed to work as opposed to this was designed to do this. Um, we also notice things in clinical trials. Like, uh, like I, we did it to see if it would have this effect on humans, but as we were doing the study, we observed this other effect it had. And so that's where you find some of these kind of like, like you said, like with Wellbutrin also being used for smoking cessation. That's where you see that is in the study. They found that a lot of people quit smoking. I'm overwhelmed that I'm married to such a smart person. Sometimes it just hits me. (laughs) I love you so much. Well, thank you. Sorry. Go ahead. Continue. I love you, too. I, I, well, thanks. I didn't mean to interrupt. Please, go on. <laughs> so, we figured out, we want to try it for everything, is okay. the point. So, at that point, when you talk about things like lupus mm-hmm. or rheumatoid arthritis, we didn't really have great medications 
at that point in history for these conditions. And so the this these medicines, hydroxychloroquine, it was tried for those conditions and they saw a response. And it turned out, you know, it's always interesting. If you look back, you'll see that like, well, we tried it for this and we thought it worked. And half the time we were like, no, that actually we just it didn't work we just hoped it did mm-hmm. it did i mean there there definitely were effects and to this day it remains an important treatment for these conditions there of course are a lot of other options as well but it still is used as plaquenil hydroxychloroquine either mm. way whichever whichever you want to call it um we know again why does it do this why is it so effective for these conditions we don't know we're still not entirely sure we know it has something to do with the inflammatory response it has a way of suppressing the inflammatory response that is so central to lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and other, you know, autoimmune conditions. And so, but it, but as to the exact mechanism of action, we still don't know. Mm-hmm. Which is important to know that if anybody tries to tell you they know exactly what it's doing, hopefully, in patients with coronavirus, we have no idea. Well, we don't know. We, again, it, it plays into this idea. We know that it has some effect on the inflammatory pathway. There are a lot of different things we've observed that it could be. I could get into the biochemistry of what it could be doing. But again, it's still we're still guessing somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, so it became very popular. And occasionally we would find that because it was so popular, doses of hydroxychloroquine throughout time have been pushed too far and so we know the dangers of this medicine because we've seen you know patients have these side effects right um it can cause retinal toxicity resulting in vision loss again that's usually chronic use Mm -hmm. but but it can do that um they're also irregular heartbeats arrhythmias that are associated with hydroxychloroquine and we know because we've been using it for a long time uh for rheumatoid arthritis specifically the real breakthrough for hydroxychloroquine was actually when we found newer meds other meds methotrexate and sulfasalazine that we could combine with it and we could see a huge effect from that so Mm. it's used in a lot of combos and things now and over time we've seen some other positive things from hydroxychloroquine like in rheumatoid arthritis patients who were on it they had fewer uh cardiovascular events like heart attacks things like that mm-hmm. and they had a, a lower rate of developing diabetes why i was about to ask you why and i bet <laughs> the answer is well we're not again it probably has something to do with all these inflammatory is that, pathways is that, that it's interrupting to not understand the mechanism of of, of medicine mm, i don't want to say i mean it certainly it certainly happens i mean this is not the only medicine that we're not we're not sure exactly how it works mm. wow. it is not alone that's wild. Again, more and more we're designing medications, right? Hopefully so, you know why those work. <laughs> so we, yes, we're more likely to understand exactly how they work if we, but there are a lot of medicines that have been around and worked well for quite a long time and we don't want to stop using them because they work. We know they work. We've, we've put them through their paces, but what, you know, sometimes it was luck that led us to them in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really sci- uh, scientific luck. I don't think somebody it, with a brain. I don't it. think it got fallen into a lake. It's scientific luck, to be fair. No, but the but the synthesis. Unless he was of, doing some like a, a astronomy or something, it just wasn't looking where he was going. The synthesis of chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine and all that—that's that's scientific luck. Got it. You know, I mean, so, somebody knew what they were doing when they made these molecules. Maybe they didn't exactly understand why, mm-hmm. but 
Uh, for lupus, it's still a good choice. It can reduce the number of flares of lupus. It can reduce the severity of flares. It has a lot of, um, suffice to say, it has a lot of positive effects in lupus patients. And it's a good, there are other medications too, but it is a good choice um, for a lot of patients with lupus. Uh, there, there are no studies that have been done on it specifically on pregnant patients, but it is felt to be um, a safe medication to take while pregnant okay. and that's common when it comes to medicines and pregnancy as you may imagine doing a study on pregnant people is not hugely popular right yeah. i mean you know it's it's very hard to say i want to take a randomized group of pregnant people and give some of them a medication right. and others not and see what happens to them right no which is why we a big part of the reason it's so hard for us to say which otcs are, are sorry over-the-counter medications are like safe for pregnant women to take because nobody wants to be the guinea pig exactly and, and fetal guinea pig <laughs> within said guinea pig uh, on that on that particular precisely so we can't we don't have the same rigor of evidence for those kinds of things we have a lot of history like anecdotal evidence to say we know for a very long time this medicine appears to be safer but it's it's hard to have the degree of certainty but it seems to be safe in these patients and and the reason i'm telling you all this about it is that it's a very important medicine for some people and i think that's key to understanding all of the pieces of this story today mm. this medicine is you know it, it's life sustaining life saving it's it's quality of life saving it's important for people with conditions and we've known this for a long time yes there are other options for malaria a lot of people say that well there are other drugs for malaria yes of course there are other drugs for malaria for some lupus patients though this medication has changed their lives and it's a big deal for them to not be able to get access to it right so that's the point i want you to understand about hydroxychloroquine it has a place it's listed as one of the world health organization's essential medications so we should if we can keep a steady stock of it for the patients who need it um obviously there are still risks even now taking it in the appropriate doses and all that kind of stuff um but it's still a good medication so again how does it work now against covid19 okay, disease yes. caused by coronavirus yes well, we don't really know. Uh, I, did, I should have guessed that, actually. <laughs> Again, something with inflammation is a theory, of course, because we know it works on these other inflammatory conditions. And we have seen that in the severe cases of COVID, we appear to have what is being called the cytokine storm, this big inflammatory right. reaction. I've seen a lot about that. Yes, that causes some of the, the very severe complications and, and the mortality. And so... Does it have some impact on that? There's also thought that it can help prevent the uh, virus from entering cells. And so is it, would it be better to give it to people as like a prophylactic? Like, mm. should we be giving it to healthcare workers who yeah. are being exposed to the virus on a regular basis? There's been some thought about that. Um, again, this, these are all things that have been observed in labs and are theoretical. Yes. But they're not proven. They're not proven in any way, shape, or form. There's been some thought, does it have something to do with zinc? Does it bind zinc? And, and that's why it does that. And it does bind zinc, but does that have any effect in a human body? I don't know. Nobody knows. Uh, in terms of studies, there have been, I mean, this is an evolving, when, this is, it is April. The uh, 12th. <laughs> we have only been dealing with this on a global scale since December. Right. So 
there it's impossible for there to be good solid studies on anything at this point it's just there isn't enough time yeah. you, you couldn't have done it um there have been very small studies in china and italy and france and now there are big studies there or they're they're putting together larger studies in the u.s but they're still i mean in the early stages right to look at the effects specifically of hydroxychloroquine as well as hydroxychloroquine plus azithromycin, mm-hmm. which is an antibiotic that many of you probably know as a Z-Pack. Oh, right. You've heard yeah, of a yeah. Z-Pack? Yeah, this is very common. This is azithromycin. That's what they're talking about. A combination of these two is thought to perhaps be more effective. But all of these studies that have been published don't hide up, don't hold up to our typical scientific rigor. Right. And the results are mixed at best. Um, even And even when they show some positive results, they're, they're fairly modest. Um, there's a problem with how many patients. They're all fairly small. Sure. Uh, some of the studies don't have a control group, you know, a group so of patients who didn't get the medication, right. uh, which is necessary for a decent study. Some of them are have not been blinded, which means the doctors know which patients got what. Oh, that's not great. Mm-mm. Some of them have not been randomized appropriately. And uh, one of the main French studies that you may have heard cited if you've been watching any press conferences recently um, has actually since been retracted for not meeting appropriate standards. That doesn't mean that it li- that they lied or anything. I'm not saying that, but it, it did not meet. I think it's important to know before before when researchers decide to do a study, first of all, you're supposed to get it approved. So you like write up a proposal and send it to a review board to say like, is this fine? Something, is yeah. this okay? Is this okay to do? And once you do that, then you, you do an appropriate study and then you write it all up and send it to journals to be published. And it's reviewed by peers, like other members of the scientific community to look at how did you go about it? What were your methods? What statistical analysis did you use? What were your conclusions? And does all that make sense? Right. As as a scientist, does it make sense? Not does it say what I want it to say. Right. Does it make science sense? And only then should it be published if your peers agree. Yes. Yes. This makes science sense. <laughs> right now what's happening is stuff is being published that is not going through that process. Because we're in such a hurry to get it. Yes. Right. So, so you are hearing... And I think because if you are not in that in the scientific community, if you're not used to reading studies, it's all coming in at the same volume. You know, I mean, we heard we heard news reports before COVID of the newest scientific study suggests that blah, blah, blah. Right. Coffee is good for you or bad for you or whatever we decide coffee is today. These are coming in with that same kind of level of certainty but it's not in any way representative of the usual scientific rigor that goes into this process. Got it. So any study you've heard about hydroxychloroquine, it's, I mean, it really. Specific to, to COVID, you mean? Yes. You're right. It, we have no idea. We have no idea. Um, a lot of the stuff is working in a lab and not necessarily in humans. And we've talked about this before. Stuff that works in vivo. Uh, or in vitro in a lab does not always work in vivo in humans. If that were true, you know, we can dump bleach on germs in a lab and kill them. We can't drink bleach <laughs> as we have covered in depth on this show. Yeah. So more than we <laughs> should have, uh, honestly, should have had to. It's, it's not one-to-one. And in times like this of crisis and panic, scientific rigor and ethics 
will easily be tossed out the window if we're not careful. Um, if you look at the heroic era of medicine, which we've covered on this show mm-hmm. many times, at that moment in history, we just we ha- we knew enough science and enough stuff to feel like we had a grasp on it. Mm-hmm. And so our theory when it came to treating people was, look, you've got something that I sort of understand, but not really. And I, but I do know it will kill you. So anything I do is worthwhile because you're going to die anyway. Right. So now. That's the heroic era in a nutshell. Exactly. So, so now let me give you mercury. Now let me do bloodletting. Now let me blister your skin to heal your infections. Let's, let's do trepanation. Let's do a lobotomy. All these things were justified in part by saying, well, it's better than nothing. Right. 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 You're going to die anyway. Might as well give this a whirl. Yes. And and it's important to know that that's not how science works. That's no. not how that's not the level of um you know professionalism and those aren't the standards we have held our medical scientists to ever before. Like right. we 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 deserve better than that. We deserve more than that. Um hydroxychloroquine may after appropriate study show some effect on covid, but as of now there's no compelling evidence, really. Mm-hmm. It's just not there. I, again, I'd be great if it was. I hope that one of these medications that are under investigation will show something. It'd be great for everybody. Right? We all I mean, right now, I, I my personal greatest hope is on a vaccine. Right. You know, which is going to take time again because we want it to work and not hurt people. Mm-hmm. But I, if one of these other medications turns out to be more effective in treating patients or preventing infections. Yeah, of course. That would be amazing. That would be wonderful. I think it's, it's weird to see if you push back against hydroxychloroquine as a miracle drug, people say, well, you just don't want anything to work. Who wouldn't want, we all want something to work. (laughs) Of course I want it to work. Right. Of course I would love for it to work. I would love to see studies that showed these things work. They're they're just not out there right now. Yeah. They're still they're still doing studies. They're still figuring things out, but but it's just not out there yet. Um, but we do know that it helps people with lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, right. and some of them need it right now for sure, guaranteed. It definitely works for that. And when you get it, however people get meds that aren't being prescribed to them, or when you harass people to prescribe it to you, or when you are a prescriber who starts giving it out to friends or family or neighbors or whoever. Just for the heck of it, just in case. Just in case, it's irresponsible and it's reckless because it, it hoards the medication and keeps it from people who definitely need it. Yeah. Um, it also makes it harder for if we are going to do these trials and we are going to give it to patients who are already hospitalized and perhaps severely ill, it makes it harder to get there. Yeah, there's no, I mean, it's, it's a loser. I yes. understand the idea. And it's also like you've covered it. It is not a, a like a fun drug that you can kind of like mess around with a little bit and take and maybe something good will happen. Maybe something won't. No, it's not benign. Um, as you may have seen, it it can cause a change in the rhythm of your heart, mm-hmm. a change in the in the electrical conduction of your heart. Something we call you'll hear us call it QT prolongation. And what we're actually talking about is not your heart. We're talking about the EKG okay. that we look at that, that tells us the electrical, like that we look at to see the beat of your heart that mm-hmm. we, that we read. 
we're talking about a specific segment of it gets longer. A segment mm. we call the QT segment gets longer. And that can be when we start to see that on an EKG, it's a warning sign. It's a big red flag to us mm-hmm. that, ooh, if this continues to get longer, you're at risk for a deadly arrhythmia that can kill you. Yeah. And azithromycin, the Z-Pack, can also do this. So if you take them both together, unmonitored. It's a bad scene. It's a very bad Somebody's going to get harmed. And, and someone has already died after taking some sort of, I think it was like a aquarium, aquarium cleaner something, yeah. that contained chloroquine. As a way of trying to prevent them from getting the virus. So so you can't just put these ideas out there without appropriate scientific backing. We need to tell people the truth. We need to be transparent. When things work, they need to know. When things don't work, they need to know. When there's uncertainty, trying to push people on a medication that is unproven is false hope. And while hope is wonderful, false hope is worse than nothing at all. Um it's well and especially like this when it's hurting people i mean we talk a lot on the show about like if it if it doesn't hurt you if it doesn't hurt other people uh and you know you're not losing money on it like go for it you know like give it a whirl see who knows Mm -hmm. maybe it'll work for you but this is like every time you buy this and hoard it you're like keeping it from people that actually need it it's ridiculous and and i'm seeing a lot of this not just throughout the lay community but throughout the scientific community too a lot of people are scared and a lot of people are uh forgetting the the things that they've been taught in school Mm -hmm. (laughs) when it comes to the scientific method and the way we go about things and the reason that it is it's frustrating how long sometimes it takes to to prove that something works or doesn't work Mm -hmm. but that process is there for a reason and ethics tells us you can't just throw it out the window because you're trying to be expedient because you will harm people right um and and right now i would be very cautious you're going to see a lot of articles, especially on like social media and stuff that will try to tell you that there's this secret wonder drug. And I've seen these protocols. They're not always um, advertised like they would be to the consumer. I've seen them. That look all doctory. Yes. That they're yeah. trying to sell them to me as a medical professional. And if you listen to this show, you know that right now no matter how smart and advanced we think we are this is a time when snake oil will be rampant and you just need to if you talk to your doctor mm-hmm. you know talk to medical professionals make sure that the people you're listening to are the people who are actually you know reading the studies finding the evidence doing things the appropriate way yeah and n- not a facebook post ahem <laughs> Thank you to um, Martin J. Bergman and Derek Lowe for the articles that were fascinating on the subject of hydroxychloroquine and the history and all these dyes and turning people different colors. Yeah, I hope you bookmark. I hope you bookmark those bad boys because I would love to dive in as soon as uh, I get a little free time. I feel but, like you're. I feel like you're giving me a hard time. Thank you so much for listening to our show, Sawbones. We hope you've enjoyed yourself. Uh, hey, if you need a little uh, uh, reading material um, right now, maybe hop on over to. Uh, buy a, uh, a copy of the Sawbones book. You can uh, go to bookshop.org and it'll help you find a local bookstore where you can um, shop online and get it sent straight to you. Um, we don't nobody pays us to say that. I just uh, think it's good service. Um, thank you to the taxpayers for the use of their song medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And thank you to you for, for listening. I hope you're staying safe, 
hang stay it, home, stay wash home. your hands. Yep, the whole the whole bit. Uh, we're getting through it, folks. I bet I bet right now, if you take a moment to think about where where you were a month ago, the fact that you have strung together this many consecutive days of this uh, and are still standing, you would find it very impressive. Your your past self. So here we are. We're doing it. We're getting through it. Just keep your chin up and hang in there. Uh, that is going to do it for us for this week. So until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. All right. Yeah. org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.